I'd like to uh, speak tonight a little bit about um, effort and meditation, uh, as well as working with some of the um, challenges uh, that can arise during practice. And since you've sat for uh, a couple of days now, uh, I'm guessing you have some, some sense of the territory in terms of challenges and challenging mind states. It's actually a very uh, courageous thing you're doing, unusual and courageous, which is to choose to sit with yourself, to be with yourself in an undistracted way. It's extremely, extremely rare that people do this kind of thing. And I think it's very brave. So, so bow to you for what you've already done. So in, in terms of effort, um, I think I'd like to start with a little uh, reference, reference point. is we're here cultivating awareness. Uh, and sometimes that can seem like something far away. Oh, I'm so distracted. Awareness is like something uh, distant. But awareness is uh, closer than you can imagine. I just reflect for a moment. Actually, don't even reflect, just notice uh, how much effort it takes to hear my voice. Assuming the volume's okay. <laughs> Can you hear me in the back? Yeah. How much effort does that take? Not much. Uh, how about to be aware of the room, kind of seeing in the visual field? It's just here. Right. It doesn't take a kind of any kind of great or heroic effort to be aware that you're seeing. How about uh, feeling your hands? If you go like this. Maybe you can try it. You can feel that, right? Not much effort. Because sometimes we have a little misconception, which is that we need to kind of create this awareness, uh, but we don't. It, it's already here, functioning quite nicely. It's here all the time. Actually, even when we're not aware of it. Right, so you, you could be driving and you could sort of realize, well, wait a minute, how did I get here? You have no memory of the, you know, of the road up to that point, you were thinking about something, but you didn't drive off the road. You know, there was some awareness present, so you weren't noticing that part. Sometimes it's helpful to illustrate this just by kind of inviting you to not be aware for a moment. Just turn off the awareness. Yeah, it doesn't work. (laughs) 
You can't turn it off. Sometimes this is a helpful reference just in terms of what we're doing when we're going on some journey to awareness to just... uh. It's actually even when you're sleeping, it's there. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to remember dreams you had. Not that you can always remember the dreams, just like you can't always remember the drive. But something is aware during the dream state, otherwise you couldn't look back and say, oh, you know, and then there was this monster, and then there was, you know. So it's just that, so the awareness is here all the time, it's just that we're not aware, you know, we're not sort of consciously being aware that we're already aware. Yeah. It's like when I invite you to be aware of the visual field, there's just a little intention there to notice. Oh, yeah. This room is appearing. Wow, amazing. With everybody in it. Appearing in awareness. Otherwise, I couldn't know it. I mean, you can actually wake up in a dream. Maybe some of you have had this experience. You really realize, I'm dreaming. There's an awareness that the dream is happening, and then, wow. Everything's really vivid, and you're really present in the dream, awake in the dream. Seems like it's supposed to be a contradiction. Like it should be a contradiction, but it's not. So, in a way, um, the effort required in meditation is so simple and involves doing so little that it's really confounding. You know, we're not used to that kind of effort. Just the effort of kind of relaxing and recognizing that something's, that we're aware of what's happening. And we're not very practiced at maintaining that for any period of time. The, that kind of wakefulness in the moment. Usually we have kind of moments of it periodically. It, it just kind of happens due to certain conditions. You're in some exceptional situation and you kind of feel really awake. Yeah. Maybe you're with extraordinary people or doing something extraordinary or you're out in nature and you really decide, you know, the conditions contribute to you being there and it feels amazing. Wow, this is what it means to be alive or something. It just feels different. But in a way we're cultivating that capacity in a way that's not dependent on the conditions. You know, we can actually practice being here for life as it unfolds. And what we're doing actually is we're just practicing coming back for a moment to that kind of awareness of what's happening in a simple way. We come back again and again. Usually, especially in the beginning, we're here for a fraction of a second, a very short time. Uh, So awareness doesn't feel like anything stable or settled. It just feels like, whoop, whoop, what happened? It's kind of disorienting. But as we come back again and again, like we have been, you know, just in a simple way, just noticing, okay, I've been lost in thought for past 25 minutes, you know. <laughs> okay, and then just a moment of in-breath and out-breath. Or a moment of the knee pain. You know, and just by doing this over and over again, uh, we start to develop some momentum in the present.
It's like these little moments that at first are just scattered. Uh, without your needing to do anything spectacular, over time, as you practice this coming back and again and again, they start to connect and become like a stream. Yeah. And that stream of presence starts to feel like it kind of carries you. And you may feel this for a few moments yeah, in a sitting where it's just, oh, for a few moments it's effortless and then not. So this is just a little encouragement on the coming back part, yeah, which can feel boring, repetitive. Um, One thing that's really helpful is to pay attention to how you come back. Somebody was mentioning this in one of the uh, group interviews today, noticing that when they were lost in thought and then coming back to the breath or the body, that they were rushing back. Kind of like the image that came to my mind, I don't know if this was their image, was have you ever seen somebody walking a dog you know, those dog owners are walking to the dog and the dog's sort of interested in things and they're like, get back. They keep coming. <laughs> I always feel terrible. Feels really sorry for those dogs, you know, like kind of getting jerked. Yeah. So if you, if you feel like that, that may be a little clue, okay. So the coming back is the meditation. Yeah? It's not like the mistake you made and then the corrective. This is the training, is in coming back. So you get happy about those moments rather than uh, mean. It can m- make meditation feel a lot more enjoyable. It's useful to have this reference point about the ever-presentness of awareness because otherwise we, go look, we make a lot of effort to go find it. Yeah, and that's kind of misdirected effort. We're used to trying really hard, just generally, societally. That's our conditioning. You know, we're, usually we're really we're good achievers or at least we're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah supposed to go for things and become something and achieve something and have something to show for ourselves. This involves a certain kind of efforting. It's a becoming. I'm going to, you know. And the thing is, when we make that kind of effort in meditation, uh, it's, we miss the moment. We like overshoot it. You know, that's a, it's, it's way too much effort. So meditation becomes very frustrating. Yeah. It's like, you ever seen, I don't know, either you have wear glasses or you live with someone who wears glasses or you have spent time with someone who wears glasses. And it's always a funny moment for me. Maybe you know what I'm going to say already. You know, when somebody comes to you, this person comes to you and they say, I can't find my glasses. Have you, s-? you know, and they're looking all over for the glasses, turning everything upside down. And the glasses are either on their head or on their face, <laughs> which is even weirder. You know? There's a lot of effort being made. But it's not helping, (laughs) except it does help in a way. Because after turning the whole house upside down, once every possibility is exhausted, there's like a moment. (laughs) You know? (laughs) 
So actually that whole exhaustive search was useful. Yeah. Because it, it led to that moment of reflection. Oh. So, you know, our, our practice is like this a lot. Yeah. And, you know, once you, you, pa- you, you go through that whole process, the next time you're more likely, it's not by any means certain, to pause a little earlier in the search. You know, what about that last time that I... Oh, yeah. You know? So, uh, you know, all of our over-efforting is okay. We'll, we'll slowly come into balance and learn to trust and recognize that, oh, the awareness, it's already here. Yeah. Always is. I don't have to go. If I go to Bodh Gaya, where the Buddha taught, there's not more of it. If I go to Antarctica, there's not less of it. But this is something we develop trust in over time. Yeah. And with practice and familiarization. Oh, yeah. But just because we may recognize that the awareness is already here, I don't need to create it, I don't need to fabricate it, I don't need to make it, you know, it's just, just coming back again. That doesn't make meditation easy. Because a lot of what we're sitting with in a human experience is either unfamiliar or uncomfortable, scary, or all of the above. I mean, this human body, is, it gets uncomfortable. There's pain in it. You know, it's, we have all sorts of feelings and emotions that arise that we'd frankly rather not notice. We have thoughts that plague us, you know, sometimes very punishing thoughts, ideas about ourselves that are not nice. So, you know, it's, we have a whole society which is structured around helping you escape, not have to be with yourself. And it works well. Maybe better than any other for kind of not having to sit here. So uh, you're choosing to actually not do that, to not distract, to not be plugged into something or other, but to be here with the ups and downs, the pleasures and pains, the uh, reality of being a person, a human being. And it just is what it is. And the Buddha taught that in every moment of sense contact, sense contact is like either seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or cognizing with the mind, thinking, perceiving. Every moment of sense contact Uh, there's a feeling tone that goes with it. Before you even have a reaction to what it is, there's a feeling tone that goes with it. It's either pleasant, or it's unpleasant, or it's neither, 
sometimes called neutral. And we're very habituated around our responses to these feeling tones, called Vedana in the Pali, which is the language that the Buddha's discourses were first written down in. When something's pleasant, you just think about it in terms of meditating, you have a moment of peacefulness amidst everything else. Here's a moment of the mind being quiet. We tend to want more of it. We start to orchestrate, well, what exactly did I do during that sitting at 10.15? You know, how did, how did I arrange my cushion? How did I, you know, I was with my breath a little bit, then I did a little metta, and then, you know, just gonna, then I relaxed my shoulder, you know, planning. So it's kind of almost automatic, the mind kind of goes into that. When something's unpleasant, we do the opposite. We try to get rid of it. Yeah. You know, you're sitting and you're experiencing sleepiness or just a kind of a vague boredom. Yeah. Or there's a lot of just pain in the body. Yeah. And we start to figure out, oh, you know, how, how can we make that go away? There's a lot of work involved in both of those. And we tend to do this little thing automatically in our minds. Pleasant equals good. Unpleasant equals bad. And neutral equals boring. It's very, we don't even notice we do that, but we do. So then meditation practice becomes... If I'm feeling good, I'm doing well. If I'm experiencing unpleasant things, I'm doing badly. I made a mistake. And if it's neutral, I'm just going to go into la-la land. You know, I'll just have pleasant fantasies. Or I'll just think about things. Or nothing's happening. What's going on? I came here to, like, have profound realizations. You know, the mind doesn't know what to do with neutral in the beginning. Yeah. It gets comfortable with neutral. Neutral is amazing. Yeah. It's a relief, you know. But at first, no way. Anything but neutral. Give me pain, I'll take, you know. Give me emotional pain. At least to feel alive, you know. Uh, most of our lives are neither extremely pleasant nor extremely unpleasant often. So learning how to live in that is useful. Uh. But you know, we, we have this deeply ingrained idea in our, when it comes to life, but when it comes to meditation particularly, that you're... And almost everybody comes in with it. And even people who have been practicing for a long time often still have it on some subtle level. And it's the idea that you're supposed to be having some particular experience. That meditation is about having something happen, something particular feeling bliss or feeling one with the universe, whatever it is that you are concocting in your mind as the thing you're supposed to, or just something really deep. It's one of the biggest hindrances to meditation, I think. Because really what we're doing is we're practicing being with what is arising moment after moment, and learning how to be with it, whatever it is. The range of human experience, and if you spend enough time with yourself, you'll experience the range. 
And if you just think back on today, there probably was a huge range. Times when you were just totally distracted and you really identified with it and felt like, you know, everybody else are these walking Buddhas, you know, everyone else is really enlightened and you are the only one who's shamelessly distracted. And then maybe even uh, an hour later, maybe 10 minutes later, you had a moment of stillness, a moment of ease, settledness, the mind's clear, oh wow. And all of a sudden, you are gonna be the next Buddha. (laughs) Soon you'll be dressed in robes and teaching the Dharma from the top of a mountain and, you know, it happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. And really it's just because you had a few moments of distraction and then a few moments of relative ease and stillness, just conditions of the mind. But what we tend to do, it's our deeply ingrained habit, is we build an identity around momentary experience. We identify with it as me. We're just so used to doing that. And every moment you're experiencing something different, some pain, some ease, some joy, some sadness. Sometimes I think about it as like weather patterns, you know. It's just, there's a range of different kinds of weather that come due to conditions. And same with the internal environment. It's almost like the whole cosmos is in us, in a way, you could say. The whole world, you know. Sometimes there's uh, volcanic eruptions. You know, you're sitting with pain. Deborah says, don't move. You know, and you're ready to just rip apart every building at Spirit Rock. (laughs) Then you go outside for a walk later. It's easeful. You know, but we love to identify with what's happening, you know, and we don't tend to notice in our daily life that what's happening is impermanent, you know, that it's one of the beautiful things about retreat. You start to see how you go through, you know, a million of these different identifications during a day, you know, you You know, you're judging some people. You're, you're walk, doing walking meditation. You see somebody walk by and you're judging them. And then you're like the worst person. You know, here everybody's talking about loving kindness. You know, and you're just like tearing someone apart in your mind. You know, how could you, how could you do that? You know, you're kind of beating yourself up about it. You know? So judging is a function of mind. It happens, you know. Uh, we're trained in it. So the instructions are not to make judging go away, but just to notice, okay, this is judging happening. You know, then Dory's leading the metta and you're just in love with everybody and great. Just being here for the changing conditions. It's actually, in terms of effort, it's a huge relief when you realize you don't actually have to decide what's gonna happen on this retreat. You know, we're used to trying to make our life happen a certain way. Uh, And once you just try to make things happen for a while on a retreat the way you want them to, and you're just so devastatingly disappointed that it's not working out the way you want it to, you know, you gradually start to let go. You know, it's like you just can't help but let go because it doesn't work. You just follow the instructions as best you can, you know, just gently trying to come back to be with what's arising. That's all you can do. And the Dharma unfolds itself.
Um, I was in my uh, mid-twenties and I was doing a lot of retreats. I had one family member who didn't really, I come from a family where you know, people meditate, it's not unheard of, but I had one family member who kind of didn't get it, you know, why I was, would want to do it. Uh, and many of you may have uh, people in your life in this category, you know. And this person said to me, uh, it was a very telling comment. I, they didn't mean it to be, but it's very telling. Uh, will, how long will you be retreating? <laughs> and, you know, the image that came to my mind was like of the world and me like running away from it <laughs> as fast as possible. It's kind of easy to understand how people could think that, like, oh, you're going on vacation. It's Spirit Rock. It's a beautiful place. You know, you just, you have nothing to do all day except be fed nice vegetarian meals and walk in the hills and sit and do nothing. That sounds great. You know, and here I am, you know, dealing with the world and... Uh, I'm sure you have the sense already that it's exactly the opposite of that. Uh, you're choosing to put yourself face to face with the stuff of your life. And that is really challenging. Yeah. Most people would rather do anything but that. And there is a lot of dukkha in it. There's a lot of uh, suffering that can come just from sitting with old feelings, you know, old patterns of self-judgment or uh, self-hatred or seeing what you're, just seeing what your mind is doing all day. Sometimes that's a huge revelation. I remember my first retreat, I couldn't believe what my mind was actually doing most of the day. It was like a real shock. It was so, this is the way I framed it at the time, it's so petty. You know, it's just judging and evaluating, how am I doing and is everybody looking at me and, you know, am I being mindful and how do I look? And it was, you know, I didn't even know I did that a lot, but it, it was really, you know, I kind of felt down on myself a little bit. And that's often a first reaction is that kind of what you start to see feels like bad news. You know, like, this is what my mind is doing? Uh, but that is just one tiny part of what you are. What we first see what we're used to thinking of as me is a tiny, tiny, tiny part of what we are. But it's the part we're used to. It's the part we're familiar with, the part we're comfortable with, even if it's really uncomfortable. And it's, it's what we know, it's the known. It's like uh, there's a, a vast, infinite field and we've cultivated this tiny little corner of it. We built a house, we fenced it in, we called it me. This is the way I feel about things, this is how I am, this is who I am. I'm like this and not like that. And, yeah. and then we just forgot about the rest of the field. We live in that. 
Yeah. It's our little prison, prison of my self-concept. Yeah. And it is a, a prison, even if it's kind of got some nice aspects to it. Yeah. A prison with steel bars, a prison with gold bars. Yeah. I'm the greatest in the world. Everybody thinks I'm special. Yeah, that's another little prison, gold bars. It's got a TV in it. Yeah. Everything's going my way. I'm comfortable. I have a stereo and a nice little chair that gives me a massage. You know, you could say, oh, that person's really lucky, but there's a little less incentive to break out. <laughs> yeah. But actually, you don't even need to break out. You don't need to destroy that. Uh, it's just really starting to recognize the rest of the field. Yeah? And that happens slowly. Yeah? And just in sitting, you start to realize, oh, wow, the range of human experience is arising here. I'm used to identifying with portions of it. I'm like this, I'm like this. But as you sit long enough, you realize, oh, no, it's all here. I had a, what felt like a really important thought a moment ago, and then I, I can't find it anymore. So this kind of um, getting to know ourselves, and when I say ourselves, I mean uh, in the biggest way, yeah? Not who we think we are, yeah? And that's what we're doing. We're just being here. The instructions are gonna continue to unfold. We haven't even given instructions uh, about the rest of experience. We started with the body and the breath and uh, starting to explore sensation in the body. Eventually, they'll expand to include all of our, all of experience, everything that's arising. Uh, but really, uh, this is a process, yeah? A process of, as Deborah said beautifully, I think, in the, the first day, coming home at first, it doesn't feel like home. It feels like alien territory. Yeah? I've never been to this planet, really. Yeah? Really been there. Or maybe I have in moments. Uh, sometimes I think of it as like if you and I'm talking about to the depth that we're going, steadying our attention so that we can really drop into what is here. You know, sometimes I think about it as, uh, it's as if you were, you know, transported to uh, maybe the Amazon rainforest, yeah, and you were sort of dropped there, uh, and somebody's like, okay, good luck, yeah. You're not, if you're not from there, maybe there is somebody here who's from there, but if you're not from there, you, you have no idea how to live in that environment. You don't know where to find water. You don't know what's dangerous. You don't know what's kind of uh, edible, what's useful. You don't know what's friendly and what's not. Yeah. You don't know how to build sh shelter. It's not saying something particular about the environment. It's a very habitable environment. It's just that you're not used to living there. Yeah. Somebody who's indigenous to that area, it's exactly the opposite for them. Everything has meaning. You know, they know how to 
you know, for somebody who's indigenous to that place, they know what is dangerous and what's not, where to find food, where to find water, how. Maybe like living in a city. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's not from the city comes to the city, it's like, whoa. So sometimes I think of this practice as we're kind of becoming indigenous to our own self, our own experience. That's a process. That does not happen all at once. It happens slowly by being there with some guides, hopefully, There's some guides here, yeah. Familiarizing yourself. And over time, uh, things start to get less scary. Your capacity for being with this territory, all of it, uh, increases. Slowly. You don't have to do it all at once. Actually, you can't. You know, it's like any process in nature. Nothing, in, nothing happens all at once. So we're getting to know the body, familiar with being in the body, being with painful sensations. You know, how many of us have really hung out with pain? We're not used to it. Yeah. In our minds, pain and suffering are the same thing. But as you get familiar with exploring, well, what is pain? You know, noticing that it's not one thing. Pain's just a name. Well, you're investigating the nature of it. Oh, it's a mass of sensation moving and changing. You're noticing what's happening in the mind. Oh how the stories and the reaction in the mind affect your experience of the pain. How, you may have even noticed this in the meditation this morning, how bracing and resisting can increase the suffering, sometimes relaxing around it, relaxing the struggle can ease the suffering. We're learning how to come into relationship, a harmonious relationship with discomfort. Super, super useful. Because discomfort is much of what we're reacting to in our lives. We just can't tolerate the sensation. So we're yelling or uh, attacking or leaving. something to explore again for yourself. Pain and suffering are different. Sometimes you're sitting with pain and you're just fighting it and fighting it and then after a while, sometimes you just surrender and give up. And there's a moment of peace while the pain is still there. Very interesting. You start to realize, oh, it's the relationship to what's happening which matters more than what's happening. It's how I relate to what's happening that makes all the difference. And we learn this gradually through practice. Maybe you've met someone like this. Maybe you haven't, but you can imagine it. Someone who's really at peace with themselves. someone who you can sense can be with whatever's arising in them. It's a very trustworthy person. And as you are able to sit and tolerate more and more of your experience, you can give that gift to others too. 
When you can sit with your own discomfort, you can sit with other people's discomfort, their pain, their suffering, without needing to run away, without needing to fix it, without needing to get them to be different. You know, if anybody's ever sat with you that way, you, you know it's a tremendous gift. So this isn't just for ourselves, it's really of uh, incredible benefit. And often we don't realize it's actually, you know, our discomfort which makes us move much of the time. It's that unpleasant sensation, yeah, that feeling tone of un that's arising in us. It's not out there. Usually we think it's out there. Oh, it's the noise in the meditation hall, which is, you know, driving me crazy. Actually, no, it's the unpleasant sensation that's arising, which we can't tolerate. We don't know how to be with it. That really shifts. Uh, when we really get that, it starts to shift our attitude. Fear is in here. Sadness is in here. Remember there was one retreat, uh, I was doing a self-retreat in the woods and, um, and at one point I started to experience this tremendous fear. It, it didn't even have any specific content, it was just fear and I was terrified. And it was, you know, I was in this environment, beautiful, you know, everything felt ominous. I mean, like, really scary. And I, I sat by this stupa, this is on the grounds of a monastery, you know, and, uh, I sat by the stupa and I, I said to myself, I'm going to just sit here and investigate this fear. Yeah, it was helpful to have the stupa there as kind of a, it's a little like a temple, just kind of a symbol of whatever, the Buddha, presence, uh, unconditioned awareness. Remember looking and saying, wow, this is so scary. And then saying, this is fear. I say, where is fear? How could it be possible that fear is out there? Is that just kind of inquiring? Oh, is fear out there? And as I, I kind of exp explored that, as I said that, it went like this. inside of me. It, it's like that projection of the fear just came right in. And there was a, it felt like a demon twisting, moving, just incredible fear. I don't, it felt like some thing with a huge hand was gripping my throat. Yeah? And I just, okay, I'm gonna let this do its thing twisting there. It was actually a lot more bearable, interestingly, than when it was out there. Yeah, I was looking around and it was beautiful. Yeah, the light was coming through the trees and beautiful. It was like the environment was beautiful, peaceful, and there was this demon moving. Yeah. Just, okay, letting it choke, letting it Twirl, swirl, letting it be tight, letting it be as tight as it wanted to be. Gradually, it uh, started to unwind itself. It was amazing. This tremendous joy arose. I think it was just from the kind of, it was like a, a joy in fearlessness. Yeah. It was a really powerful lesson. You know, all of these things that we're feeling, they're located here. 
the feeling is located here and therefore it's workable. Like Deborah said, you know, quoting the Buddha, all we need for liberation is in this fathom long body. We'll be giving instructions in the next few days on working with emotion, working with thought. Uh, In the same way we've been working with the breath and with pain. Just attending to it. Allowing it to unfold. Uh, There may be times when uh, in this process of uh, being here and being with what's arising, when something's arising that's a little too much, yeah, that you don't feel like you can be with it, that it's overwhelming. And I, I want you to know it's really okay to shift your attention off of it. You don't have to make it into some kind of heroics thing. Yeah. We're gradually increasing our capacity yeah, to be with greater and greater realms of experience. So you might shift to some more neutral part of your body, you may open your eyes and take a walk, just attend to something that's not uh, so scary. You can move back and forth between something that feels daunting in your internal experience and something neutral, kind of shuttling back and forth. Sometimes in in Buddhism, they use a term like right effort. Uh, But I kind of don't like that term so much because uh, it makes it sound like there's a right effort and you're supposed to find it. You know, oh, that's right effort, I got it. But really, just in the spirit of what we've been talking about, you know, right effort is just, in a way, just the effort to be here for a moment. I like to reframe it sometimes, just say good enough effort. It doesn't have to be perfect. Good enough is perfect. It's just just the effort required to be here for a moment with what's happening. Breathing in, breathing out, noticing that I'm think, you know, lost in thought, coming back, attending to the sensations in my back, throb, throb, ache, ache. Yeah. Noticing the reaction in the mind, I'm gonna have back problems for the rest of my life. <laughs> Noting that, okay, this mind, creating a disastrous future, which it loves to do, yeah, and will do repeatedly. Coming back to the breath, in breath, out breath. It's just one moment. There's only ever one moment. It's just this moment. It's the only moment that exists. I mean, experientially, that's all we have, ever. The five days of the retreat, yeah, it, it doesn't exist experientially. It's just this moment. 
So that's all the effort required, yeah? And we're learning how to skillfully be with what arises, okay? Breathing with this, fear is arising, okay? And being with it a little bit and, okay, now it's too much. Okay, going back to the breath, anchoring a little, settling. Okay, now the mind's telling me what a terrible person I am. Okay, noticing it, back to the breath. It's so simple, it's difficult. So, uh, we're kind of learning how to be simple together. Not manipulating, not trying to make things different. Just present. Noticing awareness is already here. It doesn't have a shape or a color. It's just reflecting what's happening perfectly all the time. Anyway, I hope this talk was encouraging. <laughs> yeah, after a long day of practice, especially the second day, these first couple of days are tough, you know? And um, just keep going. You're all, you're all doing great. Even and especially if you don't think you are. Let's just sit for a few minutes. Male beings have ease of mind. Male beings have comfort of heart. Male beings live in love and in awareness. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.